Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our 2021 Passover Prep Learning Series. I'm really excited uh, to talk tonight um, about something a little narrow and focused because I think it's fun sometimes to get into the nitty gritty of one piece of liturgy. Often when I teach these classes, when we get into these classes, you know, um, we really get into broader areas of focus, right? The whole liturgy of Pesach or the whole liturgy of Shabbat. But instead, we're going to do a really deep dive. Um, and so that's what we're going to do tonight into Tefillat Tal, which is the prayer of Tal, Um and that's a specific poem. Um, so that's exactly um, what what we're going to do is look is is explore this one particular poem all together tonight. Um, I'm going to share a piece of my screen um, together, and we're going to explore it. And it's going to take a little bit of background as we go through the different pieces of this, so that you can have a sense of. Um, where tall comes into play in the course of the liturgy because it has a particular place where it comes and jumps in and then we'll get into the context of the liturgy itself um and you know for the sake of Pesach cleaning and also for the sake of the prayer itself this one's a little shorter than the other explorations unless you have lots of questions and a lot to say on it, in which case this may take us, you know, two hours together. But I don't think so. I think this one's a little bit more narrow and focused. So um, here we go. I'm going to share with you some slides, which I'll make available to those who are listening to this as a podcast as well. I'll present it so it's nice and big. So this is Tal, the prayer at Pesach, and it is a special prayer for do. Um, do as opposed to to rain and tal the word tal itself means do it is a a common name in the modern state of israel it's a common name for all genders actually tal can be um I've, i've met people of all genders with the name tal so tall is common, um, and it would be used in a way a lot of nature and natural names would be used in um, English parlance as well, right? Funny you say English parlance because it's a French word. Um, okay, so when do we recite tall? Tall doesn't move around in the liturgy. In some of the previous classes, when we were talking about liturgy and we were talking about um some of, for example, the laning, right? The kriya, the stuff that we chant on different holidays. I was talking to you about how the, that, that particular um, sacred text can move around a little bit, right? Take, for example, Shir Hashirim and how it's a little bit different this year because the seventh day of Pesach falls on Shabbat. And so it's a little different. It, we actually have it happening on a Shabbat because uh, there is no Cholamued Shabbat. And so that kind of there's an elision there of both the, that Shabbat and the seventh day. Or take how, for example, I told you that uh, in the last class or if you listen to the last podcast that we put out uh, from this particular mini series on music that I'm teaching, uh, I was talking about Yechezkel and the dry bones and that special haftarah that happens on Shabbat Chol Hamoed Pesach and how that just doesn't happen. It doesn't get recited on years when there isn't a Shabbat Chol Hamoed Pesach. But Tal, this special liturgy that we say for do, and we're going to talk about the why and what it means and all that in a bit, but that liturgy, it doesn't move around. It just is where it is in the text. And where it is, is during Musaf. So let's talk about Musaf for a few minutes. Where is Musaf? When, on what days of the year or the week do we do Musaf? I absolutely welcome participation. It just helps to be muted between uh, your talking and not talking for the cleanness of people who are listening to it. Good. Shabbat. Excellent. Shabbat. When else do we do it? Like holidays. Wonderful. Which holidays specifically? 
like Passover, Shavuos, Sukkot. Good. Denise is like, when I say holidays, what I mean is the three big festivals, ones. right? The three big ones that are mentioned in the oh, five books of Moses, the Torah. Also. So we also do it on the two biggies on Rosh Hashanah and on Yom Kippur. Good. We also do it once a month at the beginning of the month on Rosh Chodesh. Very good. Yeah. And I, I heard that from you, Ed, too. You, Ed, you're catching on to the liturgy stuff really fast. Here. You've been in all my liturgy classes. Very good. And I heard somebody else say it as well. So you get credit, too, even if I didn't notice your box light up. And um, we say Musaf. Where in the service, where does Musaf come, regardless of which day, whether we're talking about it happening on a weekday, on Shabbat, on a weekday that's a Yom Tov, on a weekday that's Rosh Chodesh, on Shabbat that's a Yom Tov, on Shabbat that's Rosh Chodesh, where does Musaf come? Does it come at the beginning of the service, the middle, or the end of a service? Uh, end. After Torah. Because what, what does Musaf mean? Additional. Additional service. Good. It's the additional because it, right. It comes into this idea that, that, uh, it's coming in place of the Musaf offering, the Musaf sacrifice. It means additional and it is an additional, uh, prayer offering in the sense of Avodah, where that word means sacred service or sacred work. And that sacred work or that sacred service is being done through the means of tefillah in our case and the means of prayer so this is musaf and we insert tal in musaf and that we specifically insert it in musaf on the first day of pesach and we insert it in a specific section of the tefillah okay so we insert it in a in a very very specific section of the of the tefillot we put it in the beginning of the Amidah. We're going to look at this together in a minute. Every single Amidah, if you have been in a class with me on liturgy, you've heard me say this so many times. Every Amidah is different depending on whether you're talking about a weekday or you're talking about morning, evening, etc. Um, every Amidah has some differences to it, except the very beginning three brachot and the very end the very first three blessing sections and the very three ending sections and the very three opening sections always are avot our forebearers okay gevurot naming god's super heroic nature okay god's saving nature and third is kedusha and that's the one that's either a tiny paragraph that we just whisper to ourselves privately, or you would recognize it as the part that we do with our feet together that we only do when we're in a minion out loud and responsively, right? So Givurot is piece number two out of every single Amidah that we ever do. We're going to look at it in context in just a minute. And you can look at it if you're listening to this as a podcast later. I'm going to put this in the show notes so people can actually click on it. Or Bert Kleinman will because Bert is an amazing uh, producer and I won't allow him to edit this out. Even if he, I guess he could just edit this out. Maybe he'll find this funny and he'll edit it out. Okay. Anyway, I hope he doesn't. It's much funnier if now he leaves this in. Um, he's an excellent uh, uh producer of our podcast stuff and editor as is Norm Gar, and they deserve a lot of credit. And one of the things that we're doing is we're putting in these resources so that people can click on it later and so that you all can listen back to it, even if you're here now at live. What's really cool about Tal as a piece of the liturgy as well, is that when we finish with Tal, we return entirely to the normal Musaf liturgy of the day of Pesach. When I say normal, I mean the normal liturgy of a Yom Tov. So it's not as normal as you all might think of as a normative gathering because we do only do the Yom Tov Musaf three times a year. Um, and right, when you're doing it on Pesach, you haven't done it since Sukkot. We won't have done it since Sukkot. So it's been a while, right? So it, it doesn't feel so normal, but it is going back to the normal Yom Tov 
liturgy afterwards. We return back to the regular old liturgy and the way that you feel that's really profound. And we're going to get to the musicality of that a little bit later. I'll say only one other thing until I go to the next slide, which is that we actually dress for the occasion as well. And I didn't I didn't come in costume, nor did I put it on the slide, but the chazan, the cantor, the shaliach tzibor, the shlichat tzibor, the person leading services at this point, often puts on a kittel uh, in this moment to really um, denote, connote? Denote, I think is denote. Rachel is it denote to mark or connote? Karen Cass, denote? Bonnie Salk, denote? Great, fantastic. All my teachers on the call. Great. Um, to denote that we are in a moment of a real gravitas akin to um, a, a, a nod to the High Holy Days and the music nods at the High Holy Days as well. Okay. Um, I would love a volunteer to read us this beautiful overview by Rabbi Rachel Berenblatt, who blogs as the Velveteen Rabbi, and I highly recommend her work. Um, lovely play on words. Love a volunteer to read us this, and then we're going to get into the prayer itself. But she has this great overview so that we know what we're getting into. Can someone volunteer, please? Someone perhaps who has a nice, clear voice and a good internet connection. Uh, Bonnie, I see your hand waving at me. Go for it. <laughs> Geshem and Tal, rain and dew. We pray for each in its season, Geshem all winter and Tal as summer approaches. Not everywhere necessarily, but in the land of Israel where our prayers have their roots. In a desert climate, water is clearly a gift from God. It's easy for us to forget that here with all of this rain and snow. But our liturgy reminds us. Through the winter months, during our daily Amidah, we've prayed. Mashiv haruach umurid hagashem. You cause the winds to blow and the rains to fall. We only pray for rain during the rainy season because it is frustrating both to us and to God when we pray for impossibilities. On the first day of Pesach, we recite a special prayer for dew. And from here on out, during the daily Amidah, we pray Morid Hatal praising God for creating life-giving dew. As we dive in this prayer, notice how it feels to return to the word tal, which ends each line. This prayer mirrors the Arabic poetic form called ghazal, and that repeated end word is like a refrain. Throughout the Psalms, dew represents blessing, a gift from God. Dew is sustenance, which arises as if by magic. Overnight, something mysterious occurs, and when we wake, water gilds the grasses in the fields. Of course, the scientific processes are well understood. It has something to do with temperatures and condensation, but I prefer to think of dew as a mystery. Dew represents divine grace, omnipresent, mysterious, blessing everyone equally, no matter who we are. The imagery of Tfilat Tal is sweet. We ask God to let dew drop sweetly on the blessed land, to let dew sweeten the honey of the hills. Sweet water is required in order for us to inhabit the land, both the land of Israel and wherever we have made our home. I see the prayer for dew, as a chance to practice gratitude for everything necessary and wonderful and ineffable, which sustains us. What is the do for which you are most grateful? What does it mean to you to rise and be grateful for do? So Rabbi Berenblatt is such a beautiful author, and I, I almost ended with this, but I feel like it's such a frustration to enter uh, text study so deeply without an overview to get to know what we're getting into. I wanted you to know and to understand what this is that we're about to get into. It is a really sweet poem. And I want us to talk about just a few pieces of this. The first piece that I want to talk about is this quote that she talks about, which the rabbis also discuss a bit in the Talmud. This is, doesn't come from nowhere, which is this idea of the frustration both to us and God when we pray for impossibilities. What does it mean to you when she says that? 
It's frustrating both to us and to God when we pray for impossibilities, which she uses as an explanation for why we only pray for rain in the season when rain is supposed to fall. What does that mean to all of you? Anyone want to comment on that? Ask one more time. What did you ask for? What does it mean to you, this idea of it being frustrating to both us and to God when we pray for impossibilities, when we pray for rain, for example, not in the rainy season? Um, I, I have, there's an acceptance of a God who doesn't do magic okay. that, you know, I'd kind of like to have a God that did magic. Hmm. But the um, the idea of only praying for rain during the rainy season, it's something I find theologically challenging because it's very explicit about our relationship with God should not expect or even necessarily desire a overturn of the regular patterns of nature. Yes. Now right. It, oh, yeah. Go ahead, please. Kind of outing myself. But now that I'm reading this, I'm thinking, wow, you do pray for many miracles. You know, you do pray for things that <laughs> maybe are so impossible kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like a, anyway, started me thinking. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I think that it, it is very much the case that um, this is counter to the culture of the, I don't want to get too deeply into this, but counter to the culture of prosperity gospel, which is the idea of um, simply believing deeply that, that if you pray for the right things and act in the right way, that you can get God to give you anything and that you can deserve anything. It's much more complex than that, but it's a theology that does believe that God's um, ability to give you things transcends the normative rules of the universe as they would appear to go and to be. And I love that she uses the word frustration in there, right? This frustrating, um, because it, it is frustrating. Um, and we do want to look for things that fall within normal boundaries. And Karen, some other time, I'd love to explore with you uh, Rabbi Harold Schulweis's concept of what miracle is, because he doesn't think that miracle is any one thing in Judaism. Just one more comment, and then I'm done. Yes, and then Denise will get the next turn. Think about, maybe I'm not really praying for but I'm mm. just having a comment of things I might wish for. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. And by the way, by the way, um, I think, I think that it, how healthy or unhealthy, you probably know better than I, how healthy a relationship might be based on sort of the threat that hovers over this, but how healthy your relationship is with the divine might be based on how much weight you're placing on those hopes and those wishes for the miracles, right? If you're just saying, in a perfect world, God, it would be so wonderful if, and then fill in the blank, that is a very different thing than saying, I just don't know if I can go on unless, and, and, um, and you're making, uh, your universe reliant on God's miraculous intervention. Um, that those are two different things. I'm going to let Denise speak now because she's so politely raising her virtual hand. Um, so I kind of sort of echo Karen's sentiment. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's something I struggle with just in general of like, I don't know what's impossible. That's God's job to, you know? So like, I think there's been different times where I didn't ever dare to ask for anything because I thought, Oh, it must be impossible. And very likely sold myself short, you know? Hmm. So, and it's something that I just started thinking about this week because there was something I started praying for. And I thought, I cannot believe that I never asked for this in all these years. Like, Huh. You know. I, 
I love this and I love this discussion because it speaks to how how um how I vow we're willing to be with God about what we ask for. I love this very much. I'm going to kind of leave this here, but I'm going to transition us over um, back into the text by saying the following, which is that we've come to a collective agreement uh, as a people that this is the thing that we're going to ask for in this season. And that is what makes us a people as opposed to just the individuals. And there is plenty of time, even within the structure of the Amidah itself, for us to insert individual wants, needs, and blessings. More time than you might even think, and you'll have to take my other liturgy classes to get more deeply into this concept of the Yihiratzon nature, this idea that um, there is space in Amidah for us to insert our own desires and conversations with God, and in between Amidahs too. But right here, where Tal is, in Mashiva Ruach, we've agreed collectively we're going to pray for rain and we're going to pray for dew in their appropriate seasons. There's so much more that I want to get into about this um, Rabbi Berenblatt, <laughs> Velveteen Rabbi writing. I just want to point out one other thing, and I actually made a slide about it, which is this poetic structure, this gazal, because I'm so fascinated by it. And I want you to be able to look for it when we look into the text in just a moment. So it is this poetic form. It's an amatory poem or ode. And that, that is to say, it's a love poem in Arabic poetry. In case you didn't catch that, that was love poem, a poetic expression of pain of loss or separation and beauty of love in spite of that pain. Okay. And it traces back to his origins in seventh century Arabic poetry. And it kind of spread and apparently it's really prominent in the Indian subcontinent and Turkey nowadays. It usually consists of five to 15 couplets, which you're going to see this form fits within, or you might know this form fits within. Um, and the idea here is that um, that beginning the sentence, uh, beginning rather the stanza and ending the stanza in this form of beginning with tal and ending with tal is a part of this uh, son, sonetic sonnet type uh, form. Um, and it fits. Uh, so it's just cool to see this type of poetry in uh, motion and to know from whence it seems to have uh, originated. So uh, I think that now is the time that we're going to go take a closer look. What I want to use as a resource here, I'm going to stop the screen share for just a moment. I'm going to use something as a resource here that's um, just fantastic. I'm going to give you a link um, in the uh, chat box to this in case you want to look at it yourself, but I'm also going to screen share it. Here you go. Denise, did you have something else you want to add? I just want to make sure. It might just be that your hand's still up, but I want to make no, sure. No, I just, it didn't, it didn't unraise. Sorry. All good. All good. Uh, okay. So um, here, here it is. Um, okay. Uh, this is, um, if you have this on your shelf, for Shabbat and festivals, this is Rabbi Reuven Hammer, Zichrono the Vracha. This is his commentary on the 1999 edition of Sidor Sim Shalom. Um, and uh, give me just a moment. So he was an amazing teacher and an incredible editor uh, and author. And he put together this commentary which appears in the book and the supplement which is available online. I'm going to screen share it now and we'll take a look together. The way that they put this together with this um, kind of marginal half page note is really helpful and gives us a nice summary. I'm also going to um, walk us through uh, the um, main paragraphs of the liturgy as well as it appears here and talk about the music of it. And then we're going to talk about the paragraphs of Tal itself. Okay. So first about Tal in general, then about the liturgy, and then we're going to uh, about, about the major liturgy, and then we'll talk about the Tal poem. So 
this goes into some of the things a bit more academically that Rabbi Baron Blatt was talking about in general, poetically and liturgically and spiritually. This talks about the idea that there are there's not just tall, but also Geshem and this concept of Geshem and tall existing as a piece of our liturgy that acknowledges the dearth of water in Israel as a land. So as a reminder, when we're talking about our relationship with Israel and water and this piece of the liturgy, we're talking about Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, and that transcends any kind of uh, political uh, natures or borders that would have existed at any uh, nexus point in history. We're just talking about Eretz Israel, the land itself. Um, and this gives a lovely reference uh, point to some pieces of our liturgy, like Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 11, which talk about how the water itself that we have to pray for is what makes the land um, fertile. And uh, this paragraph also speaks to the fact that there are special insertions in the Amidah that concern rain and dew that change with the seasons. And one of them is found in the weekday Amidah. And the other one of them is found um, in the second blessing and recited in every Amidah. So I won't get too deeply into it, but in the weekday Amidah, there is a paragraph that we recite way more frequently uh, than our regular Shabbat Amidah. Um, but only if you're a regular three times a day daily davener would you see this. There's a paragraph that does also change seasonally at different times of the year. At Pesach also, but then on December 4th or 5th, don't even get me started on that. Uh, it's this crazy calculation, and it has to do with the exact same conception here of the changing seasons in the land of Israel. And that happens in the weekday Amidah only. That paragraph only exists there. But in every single Amidah, we have either Mashiv Haruach Umorid HaGashem or Morid HaTal, or just silence at that moment. I may or may not get into that whole thing today, whether or not you say Morid HaTal or you stay silent at that moment. Uh, so this one is one of two points in the Amidah when, uh, on a weekday when we would acknowledge rain or dew. Okay, let's take a look at, at this left side of the page for just a moment and the liturgy itself. So this looks like your usual old beginning of the Amidah, right? Okay. So, what could you possibly do to set it apart? I'll give you a hint. I'm a canter. Change the tune? There you go, Bonnie. Change the tune. Change I, I never do. <laughs> you, you could. It just might not be as distinguishable as the way in which I would change the tune. But absolutely. Um, we change the tune here. Okay, and the tune is specific and the same, by the way, when we do uh, Tal as when we do Geshem. Uh, and we change it at the Hatsi Kaddish. Okay, so it's specific to how uh, it's specific to Musaf for the days on which we do Geshem and Tal. We do Geshem at Shmini Atzeret. We do, um, we do Tal on this first day of Pesach. And when we're doing it, put on a Kittel and I start the Hatsi Kaddish from before this with. And people will go, oh, she's wearing a kittel. That's a very different tune. Obviously, we're going to be doing something different. And perhaps if there's another officiating clergy with me, they've said, we're going to do a different thing at Musaf, right? Um, even if you've forgotten. And usually at that point, by the way, because it's the day after, what have we just done the night before Pesach day one? Later. Yeah, thank you. And welcome, Barbara. Glad you're here. Uh, yeah, we, I tried for 25 minutes. That's because it was the link to the other class, but welcome. Oh. Um, yes, this is the Pesach. Glance. 
I, I know, I know. I'm sorry, it was the wrong link. This one's to the Pesach prep class, but I'm glad you're here. And you can catch up on it with the podcast, if you, you know, with what, with what you missed. But we're really just getting into the thick of things here. And um, what did you just answer? You said something that was correct. I got myself Seder. off. Seder. We just did Seder last night. So usually this is the point of Musaf where everyone goes, oh, no, we still have to do tall because everyone's so exhausted. And me too, by the way. Everyone's so exhausted by then. But it is a beautiful thing to do. It's a beautiful thing to mark. You do tall day one, and then that night we start counting the Omer. So chutz la'aretz, we have a good, we have some cool stuff going on in the liturgy those days. You just have to get excited about it. Um, and and we are, when I say chutz la'aretz, let me just clarify that language. That means outside of the land of Israel. In Israel, things are a little different because you only have one day of Yom Tov at a time. Okay, that's just want to make sure everybody's got the lingo down. So uh, we go through this paragraph. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Elohei Avoteinu Elohei Avraham Elohei Yitzchak Elohei Yaakov And then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to sing all the way through it because it would take me a really long time to sing through every single piece of it. Um, so Baruch Adonai Magain Avraham Ataki Por Leolam Adonai Michaimiti Mahata Rav Lehoshiha. Now, I want to point out something here. Remember, I said there are three blessings at the beginning of every single Amidah, three sections that are divided by their Chatimot, their signature end blessings at the end of each section. This is the signature at the end of Avot, okay? So this is Magen Avraham, the end of Avot. This is the beginning of Gevurot, Atagibor. This is the beginning of Gevurot. Atagibor leolam Adonai. Mechayimetim atai. You are the giver of life to those who have passed from this world. Metim means dead. Rav lehoshia. You're great in your savingness. Or you're great to save. Can't really be translated as beautifully as it is in the Hebrew, but that's what it means. We pause mid-blessing because there's no chatima, right? We don't have any baruch atah. Mm-hmm. Or mid Blessing section. We pause and whew, the bottom half of this page is kolel imahod. It means including the four mothers, literally four mothers, like four mothers, four mothers. Um, and so this is just the same thing, just including all the moms. Um, so we pause there and it says on Shemini Yatser, I, I don't understand why they put this in tiny Hebrew instead of in English here. This just anyway. On Shemini Atzeret, we continue with Geshem on the next page, okay? On Pesach, continue with Tal on page 219. So that's what we're going to do, okay? So you just pause mid-blessing and we go to the poem. You all with me? So that means on those days, we are not doing Musa. We go to the Chatzik Kaddish on the regular page and... Cantor Chorney wearing Kitzel does it in the weird tune, and you all go, ah, 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 ah. oh, right, it's tall. We still have to do tall, right? Uh, hopefully, yeah, it was smile on your face. And then we turn to this page, okay? I actually think there might be a special page even for the Kaddish, but we definitely turn to this page. Um, I just can't remember how that functions in Lev Shalem. I wanted to show you from here. And then we go to Tall, which is here on 219. Okay, and we're going to look at some of the lines in this. Here's my favorite part of Tal. I love, I love acrostic poems in Hebrew because they remind me of like, remember when it was going to be, you know, Father's or Mother's Day in school and your teacher would say like, write your parent's name and then like come up with a word that goes, this is for sure something that Benita Selk assigned to her students once, <laughs> like for sure. Um, uh, you know, you had to put like, you know, Stacy so like S was super and like T was like terrific. Um, so our ancient pute writers, our ancient poem writers, uh, they like to challenge themselves. And therefore we say this is beautiful poetry, but also it was just like challenge accepted. And so they write these crazy phrases 
because they're doing the gymnastics of coming up with, take a look along the right side column, what they doing? Top, shin, reish, kuf, sadi. Backwards alphabet. Yeah, it's, yeah. A reverse, it's a reverse acrostic. It's a reverse acrostic. By the way, the beginning of the first full paragraph of the Musaf Amidah is the same thing. Tikanta Shabbat Veratzita Korbanotecha is the same thing, which is why it's such a bizarre paragraph. It, but they they love the challenge, so they make it a poem, and then it comes out kind of funky because they have to make it fit the. Th- but sure, it's it, it it actually is quite beautiful in some places. So, um, in these brownish reddish spots, which I'm going to zoom in on just a little bit, we have these wonderful lines and references. And as Rabbi Hammer, as Yehonolivrahab points out, okay, may his memory be for a blessing, as he points out what this poem is doing, both big adult, like writ large, and also micro, is it's trying to give us this sense of asking for due in this season, sort of the redemption of the agricultural season, but also the redemption of bringing us back to Yerushalayim, which makes a lot of sense too with Pesach as a holiday, because thematically we're talking about the miniature story of that one time we were redeemed, but also we're talking about Lashana Haba, meaning like, may we be in Yerushalayim Habanuya a rebuilt and Mashiach, I don't know, I'm trying to say it that way, a redeemed Jerusalem, right? We're, we're all, we're constantly hoping for that new redemption. And that's a plug, by the way, tomorrow night, join us. I think it's at 730 for the Haggadah Slam. And that's part of what I'm teaching on with Rabbi David Kasher from Ikar about this idea of hashta, this idea of like the nowness of wanting redemption. So it's this idea of each of these batim, that's what we call them, houses, each of these stanzas of the poem, um, starting out talking about the dew, but ending up really talking about ear, talking about the city, talking about Yerushalayim. Okay, so we're going to look at these little reddish-brownish places where he points things out that are very cool. Komem ir ba'chetzach. So he writes here, and give your chosen city safe foundation, Right? That's actually, it's very well translated for its poetic nature. The first lines of this paragraph are concerned with the need for dew in order for agriculture to prosper in the land of Israel. This last line, however, speaks not of dew at all, but of the restoration of the city of Jerusalem. This is the general pattern of each stanza, beginning with agricultural needs and concluding with a plea for the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the end of exile, right? And you see at the beginning, this is the way that it's structured each time. Tal, ten lertzot artzach, shitenu vracha beditzach, and we end with betal, in tal, right? And um, the, the rhyming scheme, but really the scheme of the poem is that the sof of each of these end constructions is the same each time. So it, it's got this this flavor to it as well. So poetically, it blends together. Okay, next one. So that's just about the structure of it. Next one. Ir kasuka noteret. This one is probably my favorite of the whole um, of the whole poem. The city once so desolate. This is a reference to Shayao. In the Hebrew text, the city is compared to a sukkah. Kasuka. No tarant or no tarant, you might be used to hearing, in a desolate, deserted hut. This is based on this verse, like Zion is like a, a booth in the vineyard, like a hut in a cucumber field. It's like a city once so desolate. So it's like, it's a city so desolate, but it, it's also like a way of saying the place is so dry. One of the reasons that I love it so much was because this past year, I love this idea of the image of an empty sukkah because I felt it this past year so much. And I think a lot of people use the sukkah notere imagery this past year of like this idea of a just this kind of like this just like 
empty hut <laughs> um, and that the city felt like an empty hut, right? Like the city felt so empty. Uh, a dear friend wrote on uh, Facebook recently this idea of, uh, she got on the, the subway in New York recently and um, there were subway performers for the first time in a year, you know, getting on there. And she said, normally she would be so bothered by it, but oh my gosh, it felt like life was back. You know, like that, that's like the prayer for the return, you know, like, right? Like the voice of gladness ringing out in the city returning to Zion. Like that's that for New York City. Like the, you know, it's showtime on the subway. If, if you know, the person who gets it from New York City will get it. Um, okay, so uh, next one. Um the darkness. Um, so this talking about the Hashika, um, it, it, to, to the city that is that is betwixt darkness, I would say mitocha is like is is mitocha is within or betwixt darkness, literally to give light from amidst the darkness. Another Mashiach reference, Messianic reference, asking God to turn the darkness of of Galut, of exile, into the light of redemption. For example, Arise, shine, for your light has dawned. The presence of Adonai has shone upon you. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick clouds of peoples, but upon you, Adonai, will shine. So it's this idea that like, just like the empty sukkah, this is this other concept of like, um, give it to the, give, give this dark city light, right? Like acknowledge the city that it is, that is suffering in um, darkness. Got to go to the next page and I'll, I'll um, flip back to the text itself. Should be a f- familiar phrase to you. Um, so literally it's um, renew our days. I want to show you in context first. Okay, so here it is. Tal v'sova male asamenu yamenu. So look at his explanation here. A quotation from Echa, from the last chapter of Echa. Take us back, Adonai, Hashivenu Adonai, Venashiva, Chareshamenu Kakedem, right? You guys know this from the end of the Torah service. The Book of Lamentations, a series of dirges, it concludes with a heartfelt plea to God to restore Israel to its previous status. So it's saying this is a reference to Chareshamenu Kakedem, return us and renew us as in days and old. It's, it's a reference back to this Echa piece. Okay. Um, here, Dod and it leaps from Echa to this sort of reference to Shir Hashirim, to God as the Beloved. Beautiful, right? Like leaping from text to text. So the word Dod is taken from Shir Hashirim. I love that. That's not what, that's my own chap. That's my own take on it. So it's leaping from Megillah to Megillah there. And then we get to this piece, this Mashiva Ruach Morid Hatal here. Um, and I think this is where I'm going to, uh, yeah, I think this is where I'm going to stop with his explanation and go to my own explanation of this stuff. Um, and uh, this is where we get from the poem into the declaration, the one who is the, co- the, the, the bringer of the, of the wind and the causer of falling of the dew, the, the, the tal. Um, and then these declarations that kind of mirror what you're used to hearing in um the blessing for the new month, right? For a, for a blessing and not for a curse, for life and not for death, right? For for sustenance and not for star, like starvation or for for um like famine kind of, like not for yeah, starvation. Um uh, okay. And um I want to talk about how how we um get in and out of this liturgically and musically. But before I do, does anyone have any comments on um, on those themes? Resonances, themes? Any idea when this was written? I think it's interesting to me that so many different portions of the um, Bible are used. <laughs> Lamentation, Shirim. Yeah. I think we think so it's... Many- yeah. I think we think it's seventh century. We know who the author is. I will get back to you on that. It's interesting. Is it only in that 1999 um, Sidur? No, no. It's it. Well, it's in every traditional Sidur. So it's in our. It is. 
Not only is the customary one in our Lev Shalem, we also have a, um, I think, a modernized po- poem version of it as well. And it's in the Siddur that we used before Lev Hashem. Yes, this is the one that we used before Lev Shalem with commentary. So this is um, this is the Sim Shalom. It just has a commentary around it as well. You said Thank not you. for this, but for this. Not for this, but for this. Yes. What is that? Here, Here. For- at the end, for bl- not for blessing, but for curse. Livracha v'loliklala. Not for, you know, for blessing, but not for curse. Right. And so so that you that that this this tall that this do should be for a blessing and not for a curse. It should be for life and not for death. It should be for sustenance and not for sorry. Like these things should be for for um, it should it should come on us for good. Yes. And and since so much of this is gone, are we asking for I mean, wrong like that. But what we were talking about before, in other words, praying for that can happen. Am I out of this altogether? No, you're in it. Okay. Um, and you don't have to go there. No, I, I think it's wonderful. I think it's totally in theological bounds. I think that where we are with it is that, you know, to be to be simplistic about it, um, if you're if you're a little kid, it doesn't make sense to wish for a snow day in July. It doesn't. But if you're a little kid, but, you can wish for it. You can wish for it. You can wish for it. <laughs> and that's okay. It's okay to wish for it. How does your but yeah. hopefully you don't get too disappointed over not having a snow day in July. You can wish for a snow day at the end of January. And then your parents can tell you, gee, sorry, but it's going to be a pretty warm week ahead. But it was still reasonable of you to wish that maybe there'd be a snow day that week, you know, because there was going to be a test because it's within reason that it might happen. I got it. And so we're, it's within reason is, is the point, right? It's to, it's to be within reason, within the bounds of natural rules as we understand the universe. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, so this is sung in the same tune that we began to. So we've always begin with this invocation of Eloheinu, Eloheinu, our God and God of our ancestors. And then there are different tunes that might go to every um, uh, paragraph. There are some that are through composed and some that are improvised uh, to these paragraphs. And it all stays within this new song. And the critical thing is for us to end in that in the shape of so we're always going to end with we're always going to end with that shape of the tall the same the same way that each paragraph is going to end of the Kaddish beforehand with theme Amen. So I'm going to end here with uh, And then we go to major. The Ashkenazi tradition is to go to major here. Adonai Eloheinu, Mashiva Ruach, Umorid Hatal. And that's the first time that we do that liturgy there, right there in the middle of the paragraph. And then the Chazan goes, Livracha Velik Lala. And then the congregation responds, Amen. And then the Chazan keeps going, Lichayim Lalemavet. And the congregation goes, Amen. 
we're on the end. If you've got a really good congregation who knows how to sing and respond in tune, listen. And the congregation goes, Amen, or just Amen. And then we go right into. So you see what I mean by it goes right into the regular Amizah after that? We don't go back to Now I don't throw off my Kitzel midway. That would be very interesting. But I don't do that. I'm still in the Kitzel. But other than that, I've thrown off the liturgy of it. I'm sorry, the Nusach of it, right? So... I've shed that and I've gone back into the Nusach of, uh, of that day. And I'm going to go back into, at the end of the Kedusha, I'll go into Ahavara for or Congregation Melodies for the for the Kedusha. And then when I get to Yimloch, I'm going to go to Lidor uh, Vador, hallelujah, because it's festivals, right? So I'm going to go into the festivals news. Lidor Vador, Nagigot Lecha, etc., etc., etc. Okay. So um, that's where I am with Tall and with what I wanted to share with you about Tall. And I would be delighted to answer any questions that you might have about the liturgy. And I would strongly recommend that if you're interested in learning more about the poetic nature of it and about the actual text and history of it, that you ask me for a book list of recommendations because I can give you a whole lot of folk who are expert at that piece of things. And my expertise is in the delivery of the liturgy of it and how it works halakhically, how it functions within our liturgy. But there are other people who know a lot more about the history of the actual poetry of it um, and how it came to be um, a part a part of our liturgy, the history of, of that liturgy. I'd be happy to answer questions as much as I can, though. Anything? Okay. I'm so glad that you should... Oh, what? There's one question, unless I was just clapping with one hand. Denise? <laughs> No, it's a comment more than a question. Fantastic. I'm just so happy that you sang part of it. I was hoping that you would. And I remember when I first heard you at Beth Am, it wasn't the first time, but it was one of the first times it was for this service. Amazing. And you you told me how much you loved it. And I was like, yeah, because you feel how much you loved it because it was so beautiful. Thank you. I'm glad I got to hear it. It is one of my favorite Tefillot. I think it's stunning. And I think it's stunning because I think it's sung through exhaustion for the same reason I think Ne'ila is stunning. I think it's, it, it is sort of sung through in that moment of been through a Seder, but still we've got to pray for, for um, this really important thing that again, we've collectively agreed is such a critical thing for us all to pray for. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tba.la.org.